Happy 4th of July, everybody. Happy 3rd of July, everybody. Anybody uh, go see fireworks last night? Good times? Nobody did? Huh? You weren't in my neighborhood then. <laughs> Up in Killarn, we know how to party on July 3rd, let me tell you. Um, welcome to E3. My name's Eric. We are... Um, we're in the last week of this series we're calling The Endless Summer, and we've been trying to walk through ways to help you guys rest this summer, and uh, really ways to, to make sure that at the, at the fall, at the time when you have to re-engage, whether it's with school or, or when you're done traveling, that you really, really are rested. And so we've been talking about just wise ways to do that, unplugging, uh, moving your body a little bit, connecting with other people's resting. And then today we're going to talk about the last, uh, the last concept of this. But before we get that, I got one other announcement that I want to make uh, here. It's a very important announcement. So at E3, uh, we are essentially led and, and governed, if you will, by a group of people called Wise Council. Anybody ever heard this term at, at E3? Can we bring the lights up a little bit, please? Thank you. Um, so we are expanding our wise council. We've had people who have faithfully served uh, in this capacity for years. We want to expand this number of people. And so if you are a covenanted owner and would like to either nominate somebody or be nominated, I mean, you can nominate yourself, but let's be honest, that's a little bit you know, prideful. Like, hey, I'm really wise. You should take advantage of me. You might be, you might be wise, but you might not be so humble. Um, if you want to uh, submit somebody for wise council, Go to this spot on CCB. There's a forms tab when you log in. And then when you click on that, you should see um, Wise Council application. You could do that online and it will get to the right people. So please, please do that. Um, so the last week of this series, we're going to be talking about something uh, called exploring. That's the word that I w we wanted to wrap the series up. We've talked about resting, moving, unplugging, connecting. The last word is exploring. And some of you guys might know that a couple years ago, my family did some pretty significant exploring when we got on a few airplanes and flew across the pond over to Great Britain and in France for about seven or eight days. And so that's us the first day in, in London. And we got over there and... Man, we, this was the time, this was, ba this was what Shana and I decided to do to celebrate our 20th anniversary. We were like, you know, what do we want to do? Let's take the whole family over there. And we wanted to just have an adventure. We were committed to having an adventure. And a couple of different dynamics started to emerge as we, as we went from London and then over to Paris. And they were, they were things that just really, really struck uh, both Shana and myself. And they became sort of inside jokes in our family. So for Shayna, and I have cleared this with her, uh, that I can tell these stories, so I'm not going to have a miserable third. So for Shayna, in Paris in particular, uh, Shayna loves the garden, right? She loves the garden. She loves flowers. And so we'd be walking through Paris, and it was early spring, and she would just go, oh, Eric, look at those flowers. They're so beautiful. And our kids started mocking, They're like, oh, Eric, fill in the blank. It's so beautiful. And we'd have to go to sit, and, and we did. Like, there were a couple gardens that we just sat in, you know. I don't know if you guys have ever been, like, in early spring, and you just kind of lay on the grass and just watch, the, just watch nature kind of, uh, kind of take root. And so we did that. Uh, and my thing, and, or actually another aspect of my family's thing, is we love art. 
So, um, but it particularly moves me. And so we went to the Louvre one day, and, and, and we had, we had uh, positioned the trip so that it was really a low tourist season. We were there when not many tourists were there. And, uh, and it was raining, uh, I think the particular day we went to the Louvre, but we really got lucky, uh, and there were virtually no tourists there. And it was so, so geeky for me that, like, we went into this, uh, everybody recognize that painting, by the way? It's on the, it's on the cover of a record. Anybody? Coldplay? Anybody? Viva La Vida, right? So, um, so we were going into this area of the Louvre called the Great Hall. And, and I remember walking sort of around the corner into the Great Hall where there's just these, these immense paintings. I mean paintings that are like 8, 10 feet tall by 14 feet wide. They're just overwhelming. And I literally started tearing up. I mean, it was just such an overwhelming experience for me. And if you know the Louvre, if, you know, if you've been there at all, you know that in the room off of the Great Hall is what? Anybody been there? It's the Mona Lisa, right? And I have been so prepared to be not wowed by the Mona Lisa. I've heard so many nightmares. You know, you walk into the room and there's like 300 people and you can't even get close. And we walk around the corner and I see like maybe 40 people in the room uh, because it was such a low tourist season. So we were able to walk right up to the Mona Lisa. And, and we're, I've heard so many people like, oh, it's so small and it was such an awful experience. It, it was such a moving experience for me. And, and I can't tell you why. I'm not a painter. I don't know all the ins and outs of oil painting. But I do know that this is a Western masterpiece, right? And I know that there's stories and lore behind this painting. And I just got up there, and we were able to have quality time with the Mona Lisa and snapped a couple pictures. And it was just such a blessing. And so we, my family did this exploring, and we did some exploring a couple weeks ago, theoretically just traveling. And my premise here, or my thought, is that summer is a great time. You guys are going to travel. You're going to do some exploring on your own, right? Anybody taking trips already? Okay. Anybody going to take some trips in the next couple weeks? Okay, some of you guys are. You're going to do some exploring on your own. But what I want to suggest to you today is that uh, exploring doesn't just, it doesn't just happen if you go to a new place. That true exploring involves a, a shift in your mind, all right? And, and behind the activity of exploring, I want to suggest to you, is the attitude of wonder. Because you can go someplace, even a brand new place that you've, been, that you've never been to, and if you don't have the right attitude, you will go to this place, you might experience something, but you will walk away from it, not changed, shrugging your shoulders, who cares, right? But you go any place. You don't even have to go to Europe or Great Britain. You can go to Havana. Did you take the right attitude of wonder anywhere? And you can explore anywhere. Downtown Tallahassee, Railroad Square, or Paris, or Germany, or Africa, or Panahashel, Guatemala, you know? I mean, I've traveled with people, I've traveled with people who have been all around the world, and they've gone to this small town 
in Guatemala, Panajachel, that's not very affluent, but I've gone there with people who have traveled and they knew what wonder looked like and felt like, and they knew what, how to cultivate wonder in their own spirits. And so they looked out at this little town in Guatemala and they were like, this is awesome. And then I've also gone places with people who have never been out of the country who've gone to that same place in Guatemala who should have been struck by the newness of a culture or how it, just different it was, and they were like, eh, take it or leave it. So my, my challenge to you is that if you are going to travel somewhere over the next few weeks or if you're going to travel somewhere in the fall or whatever, uh, exploring involves an attitude of wonder, and we really need to cultivate it. And we learn this really, really easy from, from kids. Kids just get wonder, right? I don't know if you guys have children or you had children or, or, or just friends with kids. Like, I remember my kids being awestruck by the most simple things. You know, anybody ever had like a, a, a child that, a toddler, and you take him into a swimming pool and you just do the simplest thing of throw him up in the air in the swimming pool? That's like the greatest thing ever for a kid, right? Maybe it's just my kids. You guys with me here? <laughs> my kids like to be thrown, thrown up still until they were like in middle school. And I'm like, I Dad, can't do it anymore. Um, and if you've ever done that uh, once, how many times do you have to do it? A couple hundred. Because it never gets old to a child, right? Something amazing happens with wonder that, that it never, an experience never gets old. And kids teach us this. A child does something one time, they want to do it 50 times, 100 times. And the 100th time you throw them up in the pool, it's just as good. Except for the fact that our backs are usually worn out by that time and they're not getting near the air that they got the first time. Uh, my kids, you know, we, we taught my, my kids when they were babies, we taught them sign language. And this is the sign for more. And as soon as we did something with our kids, uh, with Levi, it was usually involved food and more food. But, um, but as soon as they did something, it was just more, 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 again, 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 again. And the wonder never wore off with the kids. I remember uh, just maybe five or six years ago, you know, so Emily was kind of in middle school. Levi was in elementary school. And, you know, we were living in an apartment, saving up money for our, for our house. And I, remember, I don't remember how this happened, but somehow we got our hands on a big box. I mean, like, you know, like a big appliance box. This became like the toy in our house. And like, granted, granted, this is not the 1930s. This is not an Eric Depression story, right? This is just five or six years ago. But these kids just took this box and we lived, there were a bunch of hills in our apartments. They'd take the box out on the hills and just slide down the hills repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. It never got old. Now, fast forward a few years and, and those kids aren't quite as captivated with cardboard boxes anymore. And the story's kind of that way with us too. Like wonder, if you don't watch it, just seeps out of our lives. It leeches out of our lives. And pretty soon those same kids or, or, or even me that would find something so fascinating and so beautiful and, and, and wonderful as a child 
you know, in a few years, I'm like complaining because I can't get, you know, my music to download on my phone fast enough. You know, or I want a new device, or I want a new gadget. And the wonder, you know, like, I don't know, David, if you took me to the swimming pool and threw me up in the pool, I might be like, okay, that's it, I've had enough. Like, I just got to do it one time. We're not, as we grow old, wonder doesn't happen naturally for us anymore, you know. And um, there's a couple quotes that I just want to share with you guys this morning that have always struck me. This is kind of a long quote by a guy named G.K. Chesterton. He says this, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit, fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough, and I love this, they're not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. I love that quote. For we have sinned and grown old. We've lost the luster of wonder. And now it's, it's a little bit too easy for us to roll our eyes or shrug our shoulders and go, I've seen it before. Been there, done that. And I think if you are, have any sort of years behind you in this life, you have to fight against this thing. And the enemy of wonder and the enemy, therefore, of healthy, recreating, exploring is something called cynicism. Anybody heard this word? I used to have a friend of mine uh, who was uh, a dear friend of mine. He also worked with me in the very first church job I ever had. And, and uh, he and I would, would sit together, and we were uh, complaining buddies. And we sat in a room, and we would talk about everything that was wrong with the church that we worked for, everything that we would change. If they only would put us in charge, if they would only set us free to do this thing the way we wanted to do, and he was right there with us, and we would just complain up a storm. And then one day, uh, I think it was over a Christmas vacation, uh, we had, you know, taken a break. And I came into his office, and I sat down to start our complaining session, and he wasn't having it. And, uh, and he kind of pointed above his office door, and above his office door, he had taped just a little placard on the inside of the frame that said, Cynicism Lacks Courage. And I was like... Dang, I just lost my complaining buddy. <laughs> and uh, that quote has always stuck with me. And let me suggest a few things to you. Uh, here's how to tell if cynicism rather than wonder is dominating your life, okay? If you are really good at rolling your eyes, that's a really good one. 
If you're really good at rolling your eyes, you may have a problem with cynicism. If whenever you get into a situation, uh, uh, you know, whether it's, in a, whether it's in England or whether it's in, like I said, Havana or whether you're at a market somewhere and you become preoccupied with the way they are trying to take advantage of you, how the other people, how someone is going to make a buck after you, if you're preoccupied with how you might be being manipulated in a situation, cynicism might be creeping into your life. If you just sit around and go, you know what? If only they would do things my way, cynicism might be creeping into your life. And the reason cynicism lacks courage is the best I can tell is for two, two reasons. Cynicism lacks courage, first of all, because if something matters to you, first of all, you should raise your hand and say something. Because a lot of us just prefer to complain rather than raise our hand and go, how can help with this? It, it seems like there's some trouble with whatever it is. Some of you guys might be cynical about parts of this church, but you've never raised your hand and said, do you guys need any help with this? So it lacks the courage to actually step up to the plate and do something. But the other reason, the other way that cynicism lacks courage is cynicism lacks courage because a lot of us need courage to be vulnerable. Because we have our defenses up. We don't want to be touched uh, by anything that might be emotional. So we prefer to go, you know what? They're just trying to manipulate, manipulate you. Well, some of us need to be manipulated because we haven't had a positive feeling in years. Some of us really need to cry. We need a good cry. And we need to be manipulated into that. But some of us just lack the courage to be vulnerable. So... If you're really good at rolling your eyes, if you're really good at figuring out how the man's trying to make a buck off of you, if you're really trying to, if you're really good at saying like, well, I would do this better if only, then I would actually challenge you to say like, is cynicism dominating your life? And have you just given up and decided it's better and more comfortable for you to complain about something than for you to step into a place where God forbid you might experience an emotion or you might be a part of changing something. Cynicism is the enemy of wonder. And on the flip side of that, uh, I want to tell you just a few ways that I've been thinking about how to cultivate wonder. So you can work on the cynicism part of the equation. What about the wonder part of the equation? Well, here's what I would say. If you want to cultivate wonder in your life, work on being present. Work on being present in the moment. Not figuring out like what you're gonna do after this moment, if even whatever this moment is. Like I don't know where you'll be on your travels this summer or even if you are traveling. But I know this, every moment is possible, has a possibility of God's grace being experienced in it. Unless you're trying to think about the moment 15 minutes ago from now, or you're preoccupied with the moment 15 minutes beforehand. Cultivating wonder means being present, having your eyes open to the, to the present moment, and relatedly, it also uh, ha is involved with slowing down. And this is where summer can help us, right? Because some, some of the things we do over the summer, you don't have a choice but to slow down. Everyone, everyone's been to Disney World. You stand in a line. 
You have slowed down. You don't have a choice. And most of us experience that as a woeful inconvenience in our lives. But maybe it's a gift. Because maybe we're so tempted to just buzz by everything that contains potential for wonder that we would never even stop and look. So slow down. The third thing is to celebrate. Celebrate things. Celebrate anything. Celebrate a meal together. Celebrate the beach that you go to. Just use the language of celebration. You don't have to have a party. Just be amazed. Isn't this great? So you see, the thing about is, is exploring and cultivating wonder is a discipline. It doesn't just happen, but we can make it happen easier in our lives if we just do some simple things. And then the last thing, and this is really related to celebrating, is to shift your language from something called yes, but, to yes, and. You see, yes, but is, is always the thing that, that's the caveat. That's the qualifier. Yes, we got to go to the Louvre, but there's probably going to be a lot of people there. Yes, we got to go to Great Britain, but I had to like sleep or ride on the plane next to a really annoying kid. Yes, I got to do this, but whatever, whatever it is. It always like takes the air out of wonder, just a little bit. So you change your language from yes, but to yes, and. Yes, we got to go to Disney World, and there was a big, long line. And we got to be in it together. <laughs> I, know, I, I know it's a stretch. <laughs> but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? There gets to a point where you are committed to this ride, right? You stay in this ride for an hour. You may have another hour. What are you going to do? Like just have a miserable time of it? Or are you going to be like, well, I guess we're in this thing together. Let's make the best of it. Move from yes, but language. Yes, this is beautiful, but it took forever to drive here. To yes, and. Yes, this is beautiful, and we got to be together to experience. It's, and always adds something to the experience, but always takes something away from it. So those are some simple ways to cultivate wonder. And let me talk for just a couple minutes before we go to the table at what I think is at stake, all right? Because it's one thing to say, look, exploration and wonder is a great way to have a good summer. But I actually think there's something bigger at stake here, especially with an attitude of wonder. There's a guy named... Um, Abraham Joshua Heschel, he was a, a rabbi in the 20th century, one of the greatest rabbis in the latter half of the 20th, 20th century. He said this, that our goal should be to live life in radical, I'm amazed that this mic is still doing this. <laughs> our goal should be to live life in radical amazement. Get up in the morning and look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted Everything is phenomenal. Everything is incredible. Never treat life casually. To be spiritual is to be what? Amazed. Isn't that cool? Wonder really, really impacts our spiritual life. Because you can get spiritually the same way. You can get cynical spiritually. I've seen it all. And the moment you start to get cynical about life and spirituality, you close yourself off to the potentials of what God might want to do in your life. 
The moment you do that, your horizon shrinks just a little bit. I want to read a, a story from Jesus' life in John chapter 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you cannot explain how people are born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus responds with, how are these things possible? There's a lot going on in this story, but what I want you guys to take away from it today is simply who Nicodemus is and what his circumstances are. He's a Pharisee. He is a leader of his people. He is a teacher of Israel. And I want to suggest to you that Nicodemus is encountering Jesus with like, I know it all. I've seen it all. I've been there. I've done that. And Jesus says, wait a minute. There's this new piece of information. You have to be born again. You have to be renewed. Something has to happen in your spirit. And Nicodemus says, he can't get it. Because he knows it all. He's seen it all. I think Nicodemus is suffering a little bit from cynicism. He might have rolled his eyes at Jesus. This is impossible. How can I go back inside my mother's womb? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Just trust me. God is a God of new things. You know? Nicodemus is an interesting character. He shows up multiple times in the book of John, and he's a, he's a seeker. He's a seeker. He wants to know, but he is being held back, I think, by an attitude that says, I don't know how much wonder's left in the world because I've seen it all. And Jesus is always like, no, 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 no. Just slow down and be present and consider the possibilities. And so what about you? And we're going to go to the table today. And I want to ask you just some questions. How is your expectation level of wonder in your life? You might have been, uh, maybe you're here and you've been walking with God for years. Maybe you're not even in that category yet. Maybe you're at a category of like, you know what, I'm just, I'm just checking things out. What matters the most is, are you open to the fact that God is the God of new things? Are you open to the fact that no matter if you have 20 years or 30 years of following God, or you have zero days and hours of following God, that something new and unexpected might be in store for you? Because that's who God is. That's what Jesus offers us. That's what Jesus is offering Nicodemus. Nicodemus, look, 
There's a new concept. There's something new. Nicodemus is like, I've got all this training. I'm a Pharisee. I know how God works. Do you, Nicodemus? And some of us, I would say the same thing. I might have a conversation with some of you guys in this community. Like, I know how God works. I know this. I think God always shows up and goes, do you know who I am? Do you really know what I'm capable of? Revelation 21, Jesus is like sitting on this throne and he says, maybe you've heard this, behold, I am making all things, anybody know it? New. And that's not just like new in terms of like fresh off the shelf. That Greek word is a, is a word that means never been seen before, kainos. It means new expressions. Some of us in this room today desperately need new expressions. And so this bread and this cup today are offered to you by the God of the new. That Jesus means that he's never done. You might, be, you might be in this room today and you get to celebrate newness. Maybe God has done something new in your life and you get to come here and you're like, thank you, God, for doing something new in my life. But some of you guys, coming up here might be a statement of just saying, I need something new, God. Please provide it. And that's exactly what God is. But we have to do our part. Cultivate wonder spiritually. Be open to the fact that you have not seen the last of God's activity in your life. Even if God has done amazing things, he's not done yet. I think that's cool. So on the night that uh, Jesus was betrayed, the text says that he took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. which is given for you. And he told his followers, hey, do this thing in remember, uh, remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took this cup of wine after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Guys, we all need newness in our lives. I hope the wonder for me never ceases. I wake up every day, I want to be amazed by God. But it doesn't come easy. It's really easy to become cynical and, 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 and have the attitude of like, I've seen it all. But today, this bread and this cup means I haven't. That God is always a God who is ahead of me. And he's always beckoning me forward. And he beckons us forward today. Let's pray. 